0: Hello, my name is Jody Limott and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the kids' books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. The poem I'm going to share this podcast is called Surfboard Life. It was written by Julie O'Callaghan, and I found it in the poetry collection Mother Gave a Shout, poems by women and girls, uh, this was edited by Susanna Steele and Marag Stiles, and also illustrated by Jane Ray. Uh, although she was born in Chicago, Julie O'Callaghan has lived in Ireland since 1974, and there she's written numerous poems for both adults and children. Her poetry books for children include such titles as Taking My Pen for a Walk, Two Barks, and The Book of Whispers. Surfboard Life by Julie O'Callaghan I'm riding on a surfboard life someone gave me a while ago. I started out in the middle of some wavy water. I've been surfing ever since. I fall off. A wave hits me from behind. Then there I go, back on that surfing thing. I live on. No land is in sight. The streams of water spray around me. I balance. The crest is below me. I can't be stopped now. My guest today is Melissa Stoller, author of the picture books Scarlet's Magic Paintbrush and Ready Set Gorilla, as well as the Enchanted Snow Globe series and the resource book The Parent Child Book Club. You can find Melissa's website at www.melissastoller.com. Thank you for joining me today, Melissa.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here, Jody. Thanks for featuring me on Dream Gardens.
0: I mentioned that you have this enchanted snow globe series, and you actually have a second book uh, that's coming out this year. If you could talk a little bit about both what the series is about and what how this new book continues the story.
1: Yes, of course. Thanks for asking, Jody. So my chapter book series is the Enchanted Snow Globe Collection, and the first book was Return to Coney Island, and it was published this August of 2017 by Clear Publishing. And it's about nine-year-old twins who live in New York City. And they go to their grandmother's apartment for an ordinary sleepover. And when they get there, they shake a snow globe from her collection. And they're immediately transported back to Coney Island in 1928. And when they're in Coney Island, they encounter their great-grandparents. And they have the chance to help them meet on the Coney Island trolley, as they know is supposed to happen, because they heard that story over and over again. It's part of their family legend. So the book is really a time travel adventure story with family connection at the heart. And um, it was fun for me to write because I based the story on the actual history of my own grandparents who actually met in the same way on the Coney Island trolley. So that, that was a lot of fun. And in the book, actually, I also include a picture of my grandparents um, as they were in the 1920s. And I had heard this story from my grandmother for years, and it had always been in the back of my mind to write it. And I'm really happy that I finally um, sat down and actually wrote it and, and that it's published. I, I just couldn't be happier about it. I also have the Liberty Bell Train Ride, which is the second uh, book in the Enchanted Snow Globe collection series. And that one is set in Philadelphia and San Francisco. And the twins go on another sleepover and they shake another snow globe um, at their nana's house. And this time they land in Philadelphia in 1915 as the Liberty Bell is about to make its last transcontinental voyage, the San Francisco World's Fair. And I had researched all that and that actually happened in 1915. And then along the way, the twins, who are named Simon and Emma, they meet their great aunt Lucy and they have to thwart a plan to steal the Liberty Bell. So all these books include also a family book club discussion guides with discussion questions, related enrichments, research links, and a related recipe. And I always plan to have, for all the books in the series, the twins going back to another time period and meeting a family relative because I really am interested in the whole idea about family connection. Um, And also, I really love time travel adventure, and I love snow globes.
0: Now, I understand You also have uh, two picture books uh, that are coming out this year as well.
1: I'm really excited that my debut picture book is publishing this year, also by Clearfrog Publishing. It's called Scarlet's Magic Paintbrush, and it's illustrated by the very talented Sandy Sankey. And it's about an ordinary girl who paints perfect pictures with a magic paintbrush until the brush disappears and her extraordinary creativity emerges. And I was inspired by this idea um, because I live in New York City and I visit the Metropolitan Museum of Art quite often. And one day I was standing in the Impressionist galleries at the Met. And I just was thinking to myself and wondering what would happen if I had a magic paintbrush and could paint like Monet. And I just kept thinking about that idea. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I kind of took off from there. And the themes in this book include finding your own creativity and not needing to be perfect. And then my second picture book is called Ready, Set, Gorilla. And it's illustrated by Sandy Steen Bartholomew. And it's about a little gorilla who likes to race with his pals. But what he really enjoys is um, winning. (laughs) So it's filled with wordplay. And the story is about friendship and cheating and what you can ultimately win after the race. And I got the idea for this story while standing outside walking along the streets of Manhattan. And I noticed a billboard outside that said, ready, set, go. And it just popped into my mind. And I kind of thought, wouldn't it be cute if... A gorilla were racing, and instead of saying "Ready, set, go," the gorilla said "Ready, set, gorilla." So it's it's fun, and I had a lot of I had a lot of fun writing this one. Very different from my other stories, but I'm excited about all uh, all these books coming out soon.
0: Now, I'm always interested in uh, the process of writing uh, picture books. I've I've never been able to do a very good job. I I've tried, and I I I never quite get it. So I'm wondering, uh, for you, uh, what's the process like of, of coming up with the idea, and how do you go about writing down that picture book idea?
1: I know that's, that's such a good question. I try when I'm just going about my ordinary day to just think about all kinds of things. When I'm walking around the city, I get ideas. I have three children who always inspire me. And I love to jot down ideas in a notebook or sometimes I just write them down um, on my iPhone in the notes section because if I don't write it down right away, I tend to forget what I'm thinking about. And I, I kind of let ideas marinate in my mind for a long time. I don't write right away usually I usually let things stew, and I come back to them and I I like to have lots of different projects going on at once and then um, with the picture books I write down the idea and I I get it done I get a draft done and then I feel like most of the real work comes in the revision process um, where I write and I rewrite and I polish and I work with several critique groups um, and we share and swap manuscripts which I feel to be really helpful especially when you're writing a picture book, because every word counts and, you know, you really want to use an economy of words and, you know, you want to try to write about 500 words or less. And so critique groups help to polish and make the, make the words really shine. Um, and then when I think it's ready, I, I submit. But it usually takes a while. It took, for these books, they each took about two years, I would say, from idea to this point. Two years. Yeah, I think so. I I remember 2016, I think the idea for Dollar's Magic Paintbrush came to me. And I, it just takes a while to think, to just think and write and revise. And I really think the magic comes from the revision process, actually. So it just takes me a while. I go through a lot of drafts.
0: Now, as well as these uh, books you've written for children, you've also created a resource for parents of children, the uh, Parent Child Book Club, uh, which is a reference for how to set up a book club for younger children. And I'm wondering what, what inspired you to create this resource and, and what, do you, what do you want parents to get out of it?
1: Yes, um, thanks for asking me about that. I wrote the Parent Child Book Club with a good friend and when our our oldest children were in nursery school. We decided to start a family book club. And it was just our two families and our children. And we would meet once a month and read a book. Uh, we read almost every single book that was published by the Magic, the, the Magic Treehouse, for example. And once a month, we would get together and the kids and parents would read. And then we would come together to discuss and do art projects or science projects that related to the theme of the book. And we would maybe cook a snack that related and go on a field trip. So after a while... We started another book club with our younger children, and people, our friends would ask us, how did we do this? You know, what was the point of it? And it, the whole point was really to make connections with your family through reading. And after a while, we thought, why not just write a book about this? Since we were telling so many other people how to start a book club, it felt like an idea, you know, that would be worthwhile. So the book has really had a resource um, presenting easy-to-follow ideas for organizing and, and conducting a parent-child book club, and it's geared to children ages four to nine. And, and the whole idea, again, is to make the process easy um, and just help families connect. And one thing that we did to make it easy for families is that we offered 20 fully tested book club model guides that set forth everything a reader needs to know to run meetings, um, like book club discussions. We have ready-made projects, recipes, enrichment activities, and so on. And our, the whole theme was just connecting with your family through reading. So it's it's been a lot of fun, and we also had book clubs with our second children. I have a third daughter, and I had book clubs with her as well. It's just been a, a really um, kind of unexpected and rewarding path that we that we travel down.
0: Oh, that sounds terrific. Now, I understand on your website you also have a blog that you write.
1: Oh, yes. I I started a website a couple of years ago, and I have a blog. It's at com backslash blog, and I feature – interviews that I call the three question interview and I I love to highlight children's book authors and so I asked them three questions relating to stories, creativity and connection. And I myself really started this because I just love to hear how authors are inspired and how they showcase their creativity through their work and other pursuits and of course how they stay connected to their readers and the kid lit community. And it's it's really taken off. I've been really pleased to interview so many interesting authors and um, just to, to chat about them, and, and it's it's fun to help create buzz for other people's work as well.
0: What authors have you spoken to so far, or, or, or interviewed with these questions?
1: Let's see. I've interviewed uh, Brenda Mayer this week. She just published the book The Little Red Fort. It's a great new debut picture book. I'm in a I'm in a group with uh, Brenda and a lot of other debut picture book authors. We call the group Epic 18, and it's a group of epic authors who are publishing their debut picture books in 2018. And it's just been a lot of fun to connect with these other authors and illustrators and help each other with marketing and just questions that you have as a debut author. So right now, I'm trying to feature as many of these debut authors as possible. So be on the lookout for more interviews coming soon.
0: Now, the book you chose as your favorite kids book is a fairly recent one. It's the middle grade uh, time traveling mystery novel, The Art of the Swap by uh, Christine uh, Aslan and Jen Malone. It was just published uh, in February this year by Aladdin Books. For readers who might not be familiar with it, especially being such a recent book, can you explain a little bit what it's about? Sure.
1: Well, also I'll say that I first heard about the book on the Writer's Rumpus blog, and they did a cover reveal there, in March of 2017, and the authors described the book as Freaky Friday meets Downton Abbey, and I love both of those, um, the movie on the TV show, so I knew I would be reading this book, um, and I also really enjoyed hearing about how the authors, the two authors, worked together to write the book. The story is about two girls who switch places in time and space. Hannah lives in the present day in Newport, Rhode Island, as the caretaker's daughter for a mansion called the Elms, and she loves history, and especially anything to do with this home, the Elms. And then Maggie, the other girl, is the niece of the original owners of the Elms Mansion, who's living there in the Gilded Age in 1905. So you have those two different time periods. And heiress Maggie is the subject of a portrait that's painted by Mary Cassatt and that disappeared on the night of Maggie's 13th birthday party. And when a mysterious mirror allows Hannah and Maggie to trade places and bodies, they have a chance to explore each other's worlds and also to try to solve the art heist. But then when events threaten their return home, the stakes are raised, and they must race against time to figure it all out. So you can see that it has the time travel adventure element, which I love, and I did in my own chapter book series. And the book also has the art history element, which I do in my um, picture book series. So when I heard about the publicity for this book, I, I really was excited to read it. And I was so happy that it like lived up to and exceeded my expectations. I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Now, the two girls who are the main characters, uh, Maggie and Hannah, uh, they come from very different times and very different circumstances. But uh, what do you think th- uh, that the girls have in common that helps them develop a bond that they, uh, that they eventually do develop?
1: Yeah, that, that's such a good question. I think one thing they have in common is this idea of girl power. I think the authors worked really hard and took very serious in portraying the differences between the girls and the worlds that they lived in. And... They had examples like from wearing corsets to feeling invisible. I think the authors tried to make make the readers um, understand the role of girls and women in each time period. I have a couple of quotes about that. These are from the book. Hannah, when Hannah was speaking, she says, people are always telling us girls we can be and do anything and we can. It's just that I guess we don't always get the same respect that guys do. And then Maggie says, still, I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to dream of a career and know it could actually happen. Or to even be permitted to have an actual say in things instead of just going along with anything my future husband wants me to. And then Maggie says also, I think about the women I know. I've overheard some of them whispering about fighting for women's right to vote. When I get back to 1905, I must be sure to ask them what they would think about a woman running for president. So you see, the authors also include some current events and they use humor also throughout. Um, There are a lot of funny scenes where in current day, Maggie, the heiress, you know, is in the current day. Um, world and she's playing soccer and she has to use a cell phone and she has to learn how to text and she's walking around on chaperones and flirting with boys. And then Hannah, when she goes back in time, you know, she's wearing old period clothing with the corsets and she lives in a much shel- a much different sheltered world. There's just a really good world building that I think the authors did. They created two different worlds and they, they really did a convincing job of, of world building. And I also liked how they used alternating chapters for Hannah and Maggie and I I think each girl had really believable voices um, and I loved going back and forth in between their worlds and they really had fully formed stories which I think was great. Hannah was immersed in life at the Elms and I loved how she was wandering around in the past in the previous time in 1905 and she kind of enjoyed seeing everything as it was during the splendid golden age of 1905 and she was you know, a historian herself, and just was so excited to be back in time and, and see everything and see the house as it once was. So I thought there was a lot of humor, and the, the authors did a really good job building the world and making the girls also have differences but share some similarities, as as you had mentioned.
0: Now, another uh, important character in the book is Jonah, who's this young boy who works in the kitchen and ends up uh, uh, helping out Hannah. I'm just wondering, what perspective do you think he brings to the book?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I enjoyed reading about him. You're right, he was a servant at the Elms. He helps Hannah and Maggie figure out the art heist and then he, you know, he he moves out West after being falsely accused of of stealing the um the work. I think he was just another character that the authors could use to show what life was really like in the 1905 period and how the rules were so strict about, you know, an heiress not really being able to talk to a boy who worked in the kitchen and but then when present day Hannah went back in time she actually did befriend Jonah actually there's one quote where she says about Jonah you are the nicest person in any time period ever and I just thought that that was so sweet you know I don't don't want to reveal too much but they take him into the secret there's a lot of um, friendship that would not have ordinarily been developed between those types of characters in that life in 1905 and I think it was nice to show the differences in class Um, I think that's that's what he did and and he, he really helped the, the girls figure out the heist at the end.
0: Now, you touched on this a little bit earlier that uh, along being a, a, a mystery and a fantasy novel, this is also something of a historical novel because the Elms is an actual place and many of the characters are based on actual people. And I'm wondering, what's the value in setting this in an actual place with you know some real people as opposed to just an entirely fictional setting?
1: When I read more interviews and uh, blogs that the authors did over, you know, as they uh, released this novel, I read a lot about the research. I think they did a tremendous amount of research, and I, I think the history and the historical accuracy of setting the novel at the Elms and and in Newport really added a lot to the book. I think there were so many details that they were able to capture both in the present day and in the 1905 Gilded Age. I feel like I learned a lot about these mansion cottages that are in Newport, Rhode Island. And I learned a little bit about the Gilded Age as well and what the role of um, girls was in that time and what society looked like. So I think when you're doing a historical novel, anytime you can actually do a lot of research and set something in the actual period, in a historical period, I think it just adds a depth and, and another layer to the story that I, as someone who love. I love reading about old houses and I love history myself. I just found that very interesting. And at the end of the book, actually the authors do a really nice job. They have a whole section on author's notes and they talk about the real people that the story is based on. And they talk, they give a lot of recommended resources. Like if you're visiting, if you're planning to visit Newport, you can visit the mansions. They have a discussion, a classroom discussion guide available. They give a huge list of books that you can read if you're interested in this time period, if you're interested in women's rights and women's voting, they offer a lot of websites. So I think they were really interested in writing a story, but also making it historically accurate and making it interesting for for girls to read about. And I think that added a lot of depth to the book, actually.
0: As we we've mentioned, I know this is also uh, partly a mystery, and I don't think it's too much a spoiler to say the mystery is eventually solved. We won't say how that is, but in some ways, even after it's solved. Not much, at least superficially, seems to change for some of the characters. So the question is, I guess, is did the swap really make a difference in either the girls' lives uh, in the end or even Jonah for that matter? I
1: think you're right. For Jonah, I don't think there was much of a change because he, I think, continued on the path that he was always going to continue on. And I know the authors were really um, careful in the story when they wove in the details to to show that you really couldn't change much in this, like the time space continuum uh, because then future events would get mixed up. And I was also concerned about that when I was writing my um, time travel chapter book. But I do think that there was a change for the two girls. I think that heiress uh, Maggie really took on the cause of the women's movement. And, you know, I think she was throughout the novel searching for purpose in her life and she really didn't want to just go back to being a debutante and somebody's wife. I think she went back with a a real purpose and she found it in this adventure. So I think that was probably, I think she probably had the biggest change. Um, I think Hannah, whose current day caretaker's daughter, also had a change though, because I think going back in time, she's always known that she loves history, but I think she was kind of validated and she was able to really see the house in that time period as it really was. And I think she was validated in, in having a purpose of solving a mystery. And there was one quote that I, that I really liked. At, at one point, it, Hannah says, I think that I would be, have been friends with Maggie if I saw her in the picture. And I think that Hannah really does like this opportunity to be friends with Maggie and to learn about history and to be validated because she really thought of herself as the best tour guide that was at the Elm's. So I think she enjoyed seeing the house as it really was and, and knowing a bit about a mystery that really no one else is really going to know about. She kind of has a little secret all to herself that maybe makes her feel very special.
0: Uh, both of the girls that go through various adventures and they both have challenges they face in their respective time periods after they uh, switch. And I'm wondering, what do you think, uh, who had the, the kind of the hardest adjustment to make, particularly for a young girl to go back in time or for somebody from 1905 to travel Forward to modern times, who had the probably the biggest struggle to overcome?
1: I know I love thinking about that, and as I was reading, I thought about that too. It, you know, the authors presented them both very convincingly and both in an interesting way in both time periods. I think, you know, as a reader, I I loved seeing how the heiress Maggie from nineteen oh five made her way in current day. I just thought it was very funny when she felt so, she, you know, first of all, she was wearing jeans which was totally different. She was wearing pants as different from her dress and corset that she had been wearing in her regular time. And then all of a sudden she felt something buzz in her in her pocket and she couldn't imagine what it was. And it was, a, you know, this instrument that was a phone. So first she had to figure out that there was a phone that you could talk to and then you could text and then you could see your friends come up, your friend's picture. So that whole thing was just very funny. I thought about my own kids who take phones for granted and, you know, how someone from the 1905 couldn't have possibly in their wildest imaginations, figured out that there would be phones. And then she saw planes flying and cars, cars were, you know, commonplace now. So I, I would think that she would have had the biggest challenge. And of course, Hannah from current day going back, she knew from history books, and she knew from living in the home what it was like, but I think it was fun to watch her see, oh, wow, there, you know, there's, a roped off sofa that no one was ever able to sit on. And now all of a sudden I can sit down on it when I'm in that time period, or, you know, there's a bed that was in a, in a room upstairs, but now I can just wander freely around this mansion. So I I think it was probably easier for her, although I think she really loved it. And I, I loved seeing her reactions to what she thought of as her home, but now it was really the elms come to life. And there was a really good quote from the opening just to get into Hannah's point of view. And this is how the book opened, which I thought was a really nice opening. It kind of drew me right in. And Hannah says, so if you ever need the perfect setting for a life-size version of the board game Clue, you know, Miss Scarlet in the conservatory with a lead pipe, look no further. It's my house because we've got a conservatory and a ballroom, hall, dining room, library, check, check, check. Kitchen, obviously. And then it continues, I live in a mansion. And then a tour guide adds, allow me to introduce Hannah. She's our caretaker's daughter. And then Hannah continues, oh, I might have forgotten to mention that. And technically speaking, I do live here inside this mansion called the Elms. I sort of left out the part where my dad and I have our rooms upstairs in the former servants' quarters and current caretaker's apartment. So I think she just takes such pride in this house that when she goes back, she just can't believe her good fortune to like actually be in this house that she's loved for so long. And then Maggie's opening chapter I thought was also nice, the way the authors presented it at some point in the next chapter she says as the niece of the owners of the elms the most magnificent summer cottage on bellevue avenue i was born into a life of privilege but for me that privilege sometimes feels like a burden i wish there was something more for me to look forward to than debutante balls and high society parties new century my foot for a girl there's nothing progressive about living in the 20th century so that was kind of funny because now she's going to be in 2000 17, 18, you know, 18, whenever the author said it right around now, she can't even possibly imagine what life is going to be like now. And then here she is. So I thought that was a lot of fun. And I also love the cover art. I thought it was done really well. It shows the, the girls in two different outfits, one in shorts and one in a dress and boots. And then kind of the idea of this key that they mysteriously touch to bring them into each other's world. Um, and the title I thought was also great, The Art of the Swap, because it kind of brings in the art history notion, and then that's the swap. So you're kind of wondering, wow, what, what's this swap going to be all about? It. it I feel like this, the cover and the cover art really grab you on the title as well.
0: You mentioned earlier you described this as a, a freaky uh, Friday book, and I think Hannah actually makes the reference as well. And uh, I'm just wondering, this plot, this idea of, of switching bodies, you see this, uh, it's, uh, it's a common one you see in, in in books and movies and things like that. And I'm wondering, what's the appeal, you think, of this idea of switching places for another person for time that you see it over and over again?
1: Yes, you do. I know. And I, I happen to like it a lot. I feel like there's such an appeal because, you you know, the grass is either the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And you, it would be you think to yourself, wow, I would love to explore that. You know, in the other instance, within like Freaky Friday, where the mother and daughter really didn't understand each other, and then they were put in each other's bodies to try to find some common ground. I think in both those situations, it's just interesting to imagine what life would be like if you were somebody else. And here in this book, Hannah has such a love affair with this house. She is more fluent in the history of the house than the tour guides are. She always gets frustrated because the tour guides sometimes give misinformation or half information. So you know she feels like she herself is an expert and so the idea of her going back in time and actually switching bodies is so exciting to her and i think you know she doesn't really want to switch back right away and so i think that's why it's appealing for authors to write about because there's it's just a fun device that you can use to help people either understand each other better or understand another time period or let them see what something would be like that they really love and and see if maybe they would really love it still or maybe it doesn't meet their expectations or maybe it exceeds their expectations i think as a writer, there's a lot you can do with this device. I, I haven't done it yet in my travel. The kids just go back in time, and they stay there, and they meet their relatives. Uh, <laughs> I haven't really thought about doing it, but it, it is it is really appealing, um, and I loved how these authors did it. I think they handled it really well, and I, I think it's a great success in both cases with both girls.
0: If you had the chance to uh, swap with another person, living or dead, even for just a day, do you have someone in mind, or would you never even consider that something you'd ever want to do?
1: Oh, wow. Wow. That's a good question. I I hadn't thought about that. I think I would, um, I, if you were guaranteed to come back. I mean, I obviously love this Coney Island story that I wrote about that my grandmother always told me about. And my grandfather passed away when I was very young. My grandmother, you know, I was very close to. So, My first reaction would be, of course, I would love to go back to that Coney Island meeting myself and see how my grandparents actually did meet on the train uh, on the the Coney Island trolley. But of course, I would have to be guaranteed that you would be able to come back because like in the story, in The Order of the Swap, there was some question about whether the characters would be able to get back at the end. And so that's always a risk. So I I think I would have to be guaranteed that I would come back and nothing would change.
0: You had a chance to, uh, I know, share a few passages, and I don't know if there was uh, uh, something else in addition that you wanted to uh, share or, or if you've kind of shared what you had.
1: Sure. There was some lovely writing. Maggie says, It strikes me that there are some things in this time that are similar to my own. It makes me feel hopeful that not everything fades away for something new or shinier, which is kind of nice. Um, Maggie's here, you know, living in current day at the Elms, and she realizes that the Elms home is still there and so it's nice to know that some things are familiar to her. And I liked, there was a kind of a nice tra- chapter transition, which I always think about chapter transitions um, or page turns when I'm writing picture books or chapter books. So I like this one chapter book, one, one chapter transition, when Hannah thinks, after all, how badly can Maggie mess things up for me in one measly day? Which is so funny because, of course, the reader knows, like, wow, something's going to get messed up. I also liked how um, the author's, made some references to things like you mentioned freaky friday and she referred to the wizard of oz and she referred to some of the i think the disney movies and disney princesses there were just a lot of fun pop culture references cinderella i think they mentioned the uh, the harry potter movies that that was kind of fun to just give the reader some like little inside jokes there and some some nice pop culture references which i enjoyed as well
0: one of the challenges of the premise that i i Kind of made up for this podcast is to ask people to choose all uh, their favorite book, and I, I say it's a challenge because if uh, if uh, someone was asking me, uh, if you asked me today, I'd pick one book, and if you asked me six months from now, I'd probably pick a completely different book. So it's hard to uh, for me, at least, sometimes to figure out. I you know just just to pick one book. We were talking earlier. You mentioned that there are possibly other books that you've also enjoyed.
1: Yes, definitely. Well. In chapter books, I really, of course, love the Magic Tree House Collection by Mary Pope Osborne. And I, I actually pitched my chapter book series as the cross between the Magic Tree House books meets the Back to the Future movies. So um, I really love that series. And then in, in middle grade novels, other books that I really love, from the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Baserly Frankweiler by E.M. Orensberg. I love that one because of the art history, of course. I love Chasing Vermeer by um, Blue Balliette. One that's on my list to read is um Sarah Lee Jenkins' Future Author Extraordinaire by Susan Tan, And then some picture books that I love. I really love Bunny's Book Club by Annie Silvestro. I just love book clubs, as you know. So that one uh, just really stands out to me. I mean, there, there are so many.
0: Uh, well, Melissa, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today uh, and to share this book.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Jody. I really love your podcast. I love what you're doing with it. And I'm really um, so honored and happy to be a part of it today. Thank you so much for including me.
0: You can find Melissa's website at www.melissastoller.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com podcast cover art is provided by Creative Pro 180, courtesy of Fiverr, which can be found at www.fiverr.com. You can visit me at jleemot.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.